Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. I am going to invite you, if you're in the room, to remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you're at home and you're watching this, um, I don't know how you sat down during that, that last song, but if you're at home, you're invited. If, you're, if you want to stand, we'd love for you to stand to honor God's Word. This is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22, um, and this is out of the message translation. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's way had no idea of any of this. Didn't know the first thing about the way God works. Hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit, and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we just pray that... Wherever we are, Lord, we would understand that the church is not a building, it's a people. And that, Lord, that you are calling to rattle our lives, Lord, to make these dry bones live again. And, Lord, one way you do that is through the teaching of your word. And so may your word be taught to us this day and every day. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, the, the church has always had problems, and I think I figured out the reason for that. It's because the church has always had people, right? That as long as there are people, there will be problems. And uh, I remember watching a movie, and in there the preacher talked about, he said, there is no perfect church, but if there was a perfect church, it would become imperfect the moment that you and I walked into it. 
Um, that, that the church is, is a broken but beautiful vessel in the world that we have today. And in the same way, too, um, are we all unique and wonderful as well. The best thing about church is the people of God and the gifts and the, the diversity and the experiences that we have. Um, as, as I look over our world over the past uh, three months, we, we, have, we see and experience events very differently. And, and, and that often has to do with where we come from, what, uh, um, how we grew up, uh, what our family situation was like, what, um, what do we go to church as a kid, what, um, what church we went to. You could be an identical twin. Anybody in here an identical twin? I'm just kind of... You could be an identical twin and yet have a very different experience than your identical twin. My, my mom has a, a sister who's two years different than her, and, and sometimes when they talk about their childhood home, it literally sounds like they grew up in different houses. That, that you could grow up in the same house, have the same parents, and still have different experiences. And so there's nobody in the world, and what is there, six, seven billion people in the world? Nobody in the whole world has a perspective on life like you do. And then we come to church and we say, we need to be one. We need to have unity. And there's so many things that can divide us, right? I mean, as a, as a country, we, we see this as it relates to, to racial injustice. We see this as it relates to masks. We see this as it relates to um, political parties. I thought the toughest thing about being a pastor in 2020 was, was leading a church with Democrats and Republicans. Who, what did I know, right? This, we live in a world of division. And, and, and one of the things I want us to realize is that everything in the world is trying to separate and us and to try to pull us apart from one another, to try to separate us and them, insiders, outsiders, people who are like me and people who are unlike me, and everything is going to try to pull us apart, except for God, who is in the business of reconciliation, who's in the business of pulling us together because that's who God is and that's what God does is he brings people together and so um, our, our staff and, and others we thought it would be good to spend a few weeks talking about unity um, especially in a, in a world in which there's so much disunity and so much disruption what does unity mean now I want to say that there's a difference between association and unity all right because sometimes we're we happen to be associated with people but we aren't together with them and so when I say unity, it doesn't mean like, well, we all happen to be in the same city or we all happen to be in the same church, and so thus then we're united. But I think that there's this idea of meaningful unity. It's a group of people that are important to us. And so kids in box one, I'd love for you to draw a, a picture of a group of people who are important to you, all right? Um, so whether you're online or, or here, draw a picture of a group of people who are important to you, all right? Because what we're talking about is this idea of meaningful unity. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this statement and unpack it. That meaningful unity is when the people of God, with the presence of God, share priorities, postures, and power. All right? The people of God, in the presence of God, sharing priorities, sharing postures, and sharing power. And so today, as we, we're going to really look on this idea of what does it mean to have meaningful unity and how do we share priorities in our life? And what is our priority as Christians? Now, division in the church has happened 
throughout its history, and we see this in the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians. And so um, in the early church, there was, there was really two kinds of people, us and them. There were the Jewish Christians, and there were the Gentiles. I remember as a kid saying, Dad, what's a Gentile? And he said, anybody who wasn't a Jew was considered a Gentile. And, and in those days, um, right after Jesus was resurrected, as they were trying to form the church, there was different ideas on what the church should do or should be about. And so the Jewish Christian said, well, Jesus was a Jewish savior, which means that you need to be a Jew in custom and in practice in order to follow Jesus. And so some of those things would be keeping the Jewish holidays, keeping the, the Torah, the law of the Torah. Um, if you were male, it was to be circumcised. That if you wanted to follow Jesus, this was the way. And there was a group of, of non-Jewish Christians who didn't have that background, didn't have that tradition. And what they were saying was, no, it's just about following Jesus. I don't have to do any of this because Jesus came and made a new way and made new life for people. And so there was this big division that was happening in that early church. And, and, and so what do we do? How do we move forward? Well, I love what, what Paul says here. It's because he speaks to both groups. And he says, it was only yesterday that you outsiders to God ways, you non-Jewish folks, you were outsiders. He says, you have no idea of any of this. Didn't know the first thing about the way God works. Hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You know nothing of the rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. He's saying that there is value in our Old Testament. There's values in what God had done before and in knowing that and in practicing that. But now, he says, because of Christ, you who were outsiders, who were out of all things altogether, are in on everything. But he also spoke to the Jewish group. And he said this, he said, he tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance, this separation, this gap. He repealed the law code the Torah, that had been so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. And so here is a church that is divided. And and again, we've seen this play itself out in different ways in the church time and time again. One of the most obvious ways is is music, all right? Um, And so um, churches had in, you know, the last 20, 30 years had what they would call the worship wars, all right? Because this is how we like to frame things. And there was a group of people that said, hey, the hymns and the traditions, this is the way to worship. And there was another group of people that said, no, these, these contemporary songs, these modern songs, this is the way to worship. And, and so the churches sp- uh, fought and they were split over this issue of music. And here's what I believe. There are good hymns and there are bad hymns. There are good contemporary and modern songs and there are bad contemporary and modern songs, all right? But, but what connects each of us is different. And so there's not one way to worship God. It's about coming to God with the people of God and saying, this priority is teaching me about who Jesus is, and this is a good thing. And so what Paul is trying to show them is that we, as people, like to get our way. But Jesus says, I am the way. And so we as people, we are so consumed with getting our way and our will and our stuff happening that we miss out on the way that Jesus would call us to be. So often the world says, well, it has to be this way or that way. And Jesus says, no, I am the way. Follow me. And so our priority, the only way that you and I can have meaningful unity as a church is to agree to the priority of following and loving and trusting Jesus. 
that that has to be the most important thing for meaningful unity in the church is that we are people who are going to so commit ourselves to following Jesus and to the way of the cross in a broken and hurting world. Because following Jesus leads us directly to the cross. One of the things I said Wednesday night at our outdoor worship service was, if you wanted a comfortable life, the Christian life isn't it. Our Savior died a messy, ugly, humiliating death. And he said, follow me. And we think that that means that we get to relax in this life. There's a beautiful promise of heaven that's better than you and I can even imagine. But in this life, we follow Jesus to the cross and to the messiness and to the brokenness. And part of what happens is that when we follow Jesus to the cross, amazing things happen. So kids in box two, I'd love it in box two if you would draw a path that leads to a cross, all right? So draw a pathway there that, that leads to a cross. Now, whenever we, we get to the cross, one of the things that we're going to look up and see is that we're going to see Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. All right? and, and whenever I baptize somebody, I want to make sure that they understand that both of these things are really important. All right? Because sometimes we just want Jesus to save us, but we don't want us, him to lead us. All right? Jesus saved me from hell, but I'm going to live however I want to here on this life. And that's not what it's about. All right? But that we do accept Jesus as our Savior. And part of what that means is that when we come to the cross, we realize that we are all broken. And when I come and I see the incredible love of Jesus, who, who, though he was sinless, died for me, who was sinful, what it causes me to do is I see his love, and I don't look sideways, and I don't get to think, oh, well, I'm better than that person. I don't get to say, well, you sin differently than I do, but you're, I'm better than you because you sin differently. All right? But instead, what we do is we all kneel before God, and we say, God, you are amazing, and you have saved us. And that awe and that joy and that goodness that comes from all of that is part of what we have to do. It's understand that Jesus is our Savior. And that humbles me and that should humble us. That it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't say, well, most of us have sinned. It doesn't say some of you have sinned worse than others. It just says all of us. And so at the foot of the cross, we are equal. And so that we say that we need Jesus as much as everybody else. I love this quote from a pastor by the name of Duke Kwan, and this is what he says. He says, it's impossible to really love someone if you secretly believe they need Jesus more than you do. It's impossible to really love somebody if you feel better than them, if you secretly believe that they need Jesus more than you do. And so at the cross, when we follow Jesus on this road, we stand in awe and we stand humbled that we have sinned and fall short of his glory. But also, not only do we accept him as our Savior at the cross, but we also choose him as our Lord. All right? And now, earlier uh, during the first service, we sang the song Amazing Love. And, and we, say, we said these words, you are my king. All right? And maybe you've sung that song before and you've said those words, you are my king. Now, the king or the Lord is the one who can tell you what to do. All right? And so what we do is that we say, Lord, you are my king, but I'm going to have it my way. You are my Lord, but I'm still going to do these sort of things. And so, Lord, you can, or we say, Lord, you can lead some of my life, but you can't have all of my life. I don't know about you, but some of us have messy closets, uh, not just in our homes, but in our hearts. 
And we say, Lord, you can, you can have a lot of stuff, but I am going to protect this closet. This belongs to me. You have no right in there. But if we're going to say, Jesus, you're the Lord, we have to open up our whole lives. And part of what happens is, is that what happens is that God is teaching us and he's showing us stuff. But, but we put up our walls of defensiveness. And, and, and we hesitate for God to enter into part of our lives because we are protecting something. And so if I ever find myself being defensive, which I do all the time because I'm human, all right, I have to constantly ask myself, why am I being defensive? And if God is fighting my battles, why do I feel the need to protect myself so much? And so anytime I find a place of defensiveness in my own life, I have to ask myself, Lord, what is it that you're trying to teach me or to show me? And can I be obedient to go to the places I don't want to go? Can I be willing to follow Jesus in this way? Because the Lord leads us and tells us to go somewhere. And obedience to the Lord will always take us to places that we would not go ourselves. Is that when we say yes to following Jesus, it means that we're going to go places that we wouldn't otherwise have gone and do things and experience things that we wouldn't have gone on our own accord. We choose to be obedient and we follow Jesus where he leads. And so I want to tell you a little bit of a, of a story um, of what it was like for, for Heather and I and for our boys of, of being obedient of following Jesus. And so it was um, uh, when we first moved to Tulsa about seven years ago. Time just seems really weird right now. I don't even know what a day is, let alone a year. But seven years ago-ish, we moved to, to Tulsa. And we actually lived in, in Broken Arrow in the suburbs for, for a couple of years. And after living there for a couple of years and making the 25-minute drive to downtown Tulsa um, and other things, we really felt prompted to, to move to, to Tulsa, to the city. And so we, we found a house and, uh, and we moved to the city. But one of the next things that we had to decide was what to do about school. There was a, a school about a mile away. There was a Tulsa public school. And, and that was our initial thought. But God had put something different on my heart. And I didn't know what to, to do about it. And so there was a school that our church, First Methodist, had partnered with for over 20 years. They had read stories, started bike clubs, had done all sorts of things over the years to make it um, a, a place in which there was this sense of holiness that was there, but, but it was also a, a very difficult place. It was, a, it was a school by the name of Eugene Field Elementary, um, and it was in West Tulsa. It was surrounded on three sides by Section 8 housing. There was a lot, it was a school defined by poverty in a lot of sense, and it was a school defined by diversity. There was no majority there. There was blacks, there was Hispanics, there was Shakees. I'm not even sure where the Shakees were from. I should have asked Heather between services, but I didn't. All right, there was, there was white. There was a little bit of everything in this mix of Tulsa. And so God just sort of stirred in my heart a little bit like, hey, I think maybe you all should go there. And so being the wise husband that I was, I didn't make a decision. I said, Heather, would you be willing to consider that maybe this is what God wants us to do, because I wasn't sure. And so, so she said, yes. And so we, we met with the principal. This was in the summer, and so we met with the principal. The principal had been on the job two weeks. And she said, well, I don't really know much about the school, but we'd love to have you here. And so we talked a little bit, and again, she hadn't been there, so she didn't really know much. Now, we knew teachers who, who worked at the, the school, and we knew people who had volunteered and, and other things, and we talked to them. And and we said, so we think God might be prompting us to, to go here. Um, what do you think? And they were like, yeah, I don't think so. You know, they have lockdowns. 
all right, that, that, that they have to do multiple times throughout the year. And there's behavioral issues, and I don't know if your kids are going to be getting ahead because there's behavioral issues in the classroom, and, and is that the right environment that you want for your kids? I just don't know. But, but Heather and I, neither of us could shake it. And sometimes that's what God does. How do you know the right thing to do is you just can't shake it off. You know, you try. You're like, Lord, I don't want to do this. But Lord says, no, 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 do this. And so we, we decided, hey, this is what we're going to do. And so Micah was in first grade. Now, here's the crazy thing is that we felt called. And so we sent our first grader as a missionary into Eugene Field. He didn't know any different. But he, he went there. And, and what happened when we got there was I learned so much about myself and about other people. And I learned so much about a world that I had never experienced. Because lived, I've lived in white world my whole life. I, that, that I, I mean, I, I grew up and I mean, I've been in white churches. Uh, my schools have been predominantly white. I mean, I graduated at Owasso, Oklahoma. I think there was, I mean, four people of color. I was surrounded by people that, I, that looked like me and many who I just assumed thought like me because I think most of us think that our life is normal. Everybody else is weird, but me, I'm normal, and the world that I live in is normal. And so when I, when I had the opportunity to, to, to go to a place that was very different than any place I've been at, a place of poverty, a place of diversity, it was really an unusual experience. And, and, and there was a lot of things that, that I learned right off the bat. Now, the first thing that I, that I learned, and I, I, I hated, I hate it, is I learned that I'm more racist than I ever imagined. Now, I, now if you would have asked me before, I would have said, well, you know, I, I, I love all people. I think, I think all are made in the image of God. I would have given you all the right answers. But one thing I did recently is I, when I, we started there is I took this, this test called the Implicit Association Test. And, and it has you look at, at black faces and white faces and associate them with good words or bad words or whatever the case may be. And, and, and one of the things I realized is I have a bias. That, that, that my bias is that I think it's so much easier for me to think more positive of white people than it is people of color. That's, that's part of my racism. And then when I, I got there, I realized I did little things, and it's little things that I don't want to do. So I remember one day we were, we were waiting for um, Micah to, to get out of school, and, and I would often dress like, like this, like I'd been at work, and, and other people were dressed in ways that, I mean, they were wearing PJs at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And do you know what went through my head is I'm better than you. And not just people of color, but people of poverty. I thought I'm better than you because I've got a job. I don't wear PJs at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. All right. Well, now we know with Corona that there's lots of people that would wear PJs at three o'clock in the afternoon, right? But here, here I am. And then, and then one day I remember seeing a black guy and he had a hoodie on and he, he, I'm gonna, he looked upset. And do you know what I did? Is I thought, I wonder if my car is locked. This is me in my heart. You see, I don't think racism is an either or thing. I think it's a spectrum thing. And that, and that we find ourselves sort of oscillating back and forth some. And I realized I was further on this side than I ever wanted to be. And so the first thing it taught me was that I have bias and I see people in ways that I don't want to see them because that's how I've been trained by the world to see people. And my experiences had been different at that time than they were. But I also learned that I can't ever assume somebody's life experience so 
the first year, Micah was our, our missionary, and we, we were involved in, in some ways. But in the second year, when Micah went into second grade, Heather got a, a job as the librarian there at the school, that this is part of what God was calling us to. And our youngest son, Kaysen, he started kindergarten. And so we, we became enmeshed in the school in the same way. So again, I sort of felt the leading at the beginning, and then I sent the three of them on, all right? Uh, just here you go. Um, and, and so I, I, I tried to be involved. I was nowhere near involved as they were. Um, and, and so one of the things that I would do is sometimes I'd go up and just help out in the classroom. And so when I was in, when I was in the classroom, this was at the beginning of Micah's second grade year, I went with this class to the big buck store. And so um, based on what they would do in school, they would get, they would get bucks and they would be able to spend them um, at this sort of reward store, kind of like we have with Backyard Bible Club, that same sort of idea. And so it was a, it was a great thing. Wonderful thing. And so I go there. It's the first time of the year that his class gets to go. And so there's a lady named Miss Jill, um, who was one of the leaders of the big buck store. And Miss Jill was going over the rules, all right? One of the big rules, she said, is you do not steal from this store. If we find you stealing, you will not be allowed to come back this entire year. You do not steal. And she said, do you know why that's the rule? And there was a young girl, and she raised her hand, second grader. And she said, yeah, because if you steal, you go to jail like my daddy went to jail for choking my mom. And she kept going, and, and, and us adults were frozen. Because what do you do when that's somebody's normal? What is, how does that teach you to train the world? What does that tell you about life when, yeah, you go to jail like my daddy goes to jail? And this broken justice system that we're in. And these broken family systems that people are in. You know, one of the other things that I learned was, was that people see and experience the world so much differently than I do. I'd go visit Heather in, in, the, in the library and people would, would walk, kids would walk up to me and they'd say, are you Miss Tiger's boyfriend? No, I'm her husband. But in that world, not just black, but white, Hispanic, the men in their lives were a revolving door. And there weren't husbands frequently who stayed around year after year. It was a boyfriend, and then another boyfriend, and then another boyfriend. What is your world like for some of those people when they don't have an idea of marriage? How do you see the world so differently? And what do you do if you're a third grader and one day you go with your mom and your baby sister to the park. And you and your mom says, it's time to go. We're leaving your sister there. And you refuse to leave your baby sister at the park. And your mom chokes you. And you come to school three days later with choke marks around your neck. What do you do? How angry could you be at the world if this is your life? And I learned people's experiences, people's perspectives, people's stories are so different than mine. And it just broke my heart because it's easy for me to see on the news, how could they do that? And the reality is, I've seen some of the brokenness. But do you know what also I learned? Was that there was so much good there. 
that Eugene Field community was astonishing. Those people would defend each other. They would care for one another. And if you were part of them, they loved you. One of the things that, that Heather and I were talking about was, was there was a big difference when we just sent our, our son there that first year to whenever she started working there. And so when she started working there, then um, as a librarian, there was like a parent-teacher day or whatever the case may be where, where they would come. And, um, and, and you know, they, the parents would come and they were greeting people. And, oh, Miss Tiger, oh, you're the librarian. And then they would, would find out that, that she's a, a teacher there. And it was amazing how their attitudes turned from uh, not that she was not only a teacher there, but she was a parent there. Because they would say, oh, welcome to the family. And Heather was telling me, you know, she remembers a, a distinct time in which one of the moms said that, welcome to the family, and then gave her her baby. And said, nothing says you belong here, like here, hold my kid. I saw moms... We saw moms who were doing everything they could to help their children, including one boy, and he was in fourth grade, I think, when we left, who had his own cookie business, that he was selling cookies so that he could go visit, I want to say Africa, is that right, where, he, where, his, where his family was from. And she was encouraging him, spurring him on along the way. And there were so many obstacles, but they were doing that. And it totally changed the way that I saw the world. And I realized... We're different, but I'm not better. And I had to wrestle with my own stuff, and I had to wrestle with the world that was broken, and here's what I know. It's that because we were obedient to follow Jesus, it did not lead to a simple solution. We didn't get to go in there and just say, oh, we're white, we're going to show you the way. We're middle class, we're going to show you the way. It wasn't easy. In fact, it's messy. But following Jesus does not lead to simple solutions. It leads to messy embraces. It leads to awkwardness, all right? This whole corona time, we've gotten good at being awkward when we see people, right? Following Jesus does not give us simple solutions that the world loves so much. Oh, just do this. Oh, just do that. Oh, just do this. No. We are called to move towards one another and to embrace one another in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our differences, in the midst of our diversity, and embrace each other and to help other people to know that you belong here and we belong together. And so kids, in, in box three, I'd love it for you if you would draw a place where you know you belong. What is a place in which you know that you belong? Because that's what God is calling his church to be. Is a place of unity, a place of home, a place of belonging. And so this is, is what he says in that, that last chapter, in that last verses. He says, you're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. Our allegiance is not to the United States of America. Our allegiance is to the God and Lord. That is who we pledge allegiance to. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here. All of our journeys are different. But God is using us all in what he is building. 
He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. And so kids in box four, I'd love it if you would write some words or draw pictures that describe home and safety and love to you. And so this is what God is doing. Is he's not calling us to, to say that we are better, but to have the same priority, which is Jesus. And he's building us into a family, into a united family, in which we and our experiences, and we in our perspectives, and we in our differences make each other stronger. But what we do in this world is that we have built walls around each other, all right? Kind of, you know, some fences are good, right? Like Wilson, like seeing over here. But, um, you know, here in this world, we, we, we build walls that separate us from each other, in which, which the good people are here and the bad people are out there, all right? The Cubs fans are on this side of the wall. The Cardinals fans are on that side, all right? I always have felt a little outnumbered, all right? But we, we build walls and we separate ourselves. Oh, oh, well, because you're a Democrat, you go over there and all the safe people are here. Or because you're a Republican, you go over there and all the safe people are here, right? Oh, you believe this, so, oh, you go over there. And so we're really good at building walls, all right? And that's what we as humans do is we build walls to separate us because we want safety. But Jesus builds homes. He, did, did you hear what it says? He tore down the wall we use to keep each other at a distance. The cross got us to embrace because at the cross, we are all equals. We're not better than, we are equal to the cross is what causes us to embrace, oh, what love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And so what Jesus did is he saw this wall and he tore it down. And he said, this is life. And this is love. I'm going to tear down the walls that separate. And can you be united in my love, in my kindness, in my goodness. Now, I'm not much of a builder. I didn't even build this. Nick Bailey built this for me. I mean, it's pretty simple, but no, thanks, Nick. Um, but I, I was doing some research, and, and I looked about this thing, and there's this thing called cross-bracing, which you do in buildings to make it stronger. This is what it says. Cross-bracing can increase a building's capacity to withstand seismic activity. The walls will come tumbling down, but the cross will never falter, will never fall, and will hold all of us on it. There's enough room in Jesus' family for all of his children. You belong here, and we belong here together. It's a whole lot easier to build walls than it is to tear them down. But that's the work I want to do. And I think that's the work we want to do. And so as we go from here, may God just shape our hearts. May he challenge us and may we be people who have this priority of Jesus. 
that where he leads us, I will follow. That where he guides us, I will go. Where he challenges us, I will say, Lord, why am I being so defensive? And as we go from here, may we be so in awe of his love that we love all of our neighbors as he has loved us. Let us pray. And so, Lord, you tore down the walls of hostility. And, Lord, we admit and we confess and I confess, I repent of my sins, of my brokenness, my arrogance, my racism, my selfishness. And I say that's not who you are. I say that we have built walls that have separated us from other people. So, Lord, tear down the walls in my heart. Tear down those walls and strengthen me by the power of the cross so that I may know your love and your goodness in the land of the living. And Lord, help me to move towards others. Help me to follow you where you're calling me, especially and even when I'm uncomfortable. Lord, rattle me so that we can live again. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.